Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, Managing Editor of NHJournal.com. It's our special, hey, I'm supposed to be off this week. Why am I doing a podcast podcast? And we were trying to be dark. We have a pretty hefty schedule around here, particularly during the First of the Nation year, year and a half. Uh, but uh, we're doing great until late Wednesday night when my old governor, Nikki Haley, because I'm from South Carolina, appeared in Berlin and uh, was asked about the Civil War. And well, many of you know about the story and you know about the coverage at NHJournal.com. We're going to be talking to Governor Haley in just a minute. Uh, first, though, thank you to uh, everyone who has taken this opportunity the holiday season to uh, send a few bucks our way, hit the tip jar, donate. If you go to nhjournal.com, there's a red box right there that says support independent journalism. We can't do what we do without your help. And, you know, we don't have, unlike the uh, new uh, media outlet that just opened here, sponsored by the uh, Democratic Dark Money Group uh, acronym, or it was founded by, I think they've shifted to some other Democratic Dark Money Groups, but whatever. They hired the comms director from the New Hampshire Democratic Party to be the political editor. So you know it's going to be straight up journalism. Well, you know, you know what's funny? My prediction, no joke, it's going to be less openly Democratic than New Hampshire Public Radio or the Boston Globe. But anyway, whatever. The point is they have big dark money and foundations that all throw them money because they want left to center journalism. We got us. We got you. And so thank you very much. And if you're at nhjournal.com and hit that tip jar, that's great. Also, thank you, Dr. Bruce Houghton at Perfect Smiles of Nashua, perfectsmiles.com. He does a great job. He's just a great guy. And so if you tell him you heard it on the podcast and you go in, whether it's for regular cleaning or if you want to have your smile done, Dr. Bruce will take great care of you. I am happy to put my name with Dr. He's been my dentist for she's years and years. And so that all makes this possible. So terrific. And we have some fun stuff uh, coming up in the next few days with the end of the year. But with Nikki Haley here, we did a special newsletter we hadn't planned on doing. And this new this podcast is in it. And thank you, thank you, thank you. So normally I would bloviate for a few minutes and then we go to our guest. I want to reverse that because uh, I was able to uh, get Governor Haley while she was in between events on this compressed uh, schedule, five cities in about 30 hours, starting in Berlin and coming down to Concord. And those of you who are familiar with uh, internet service in New Hampshire know what a risk slash challenge that is, particularly north of Concord, trying to maintain a connection to do an interview. So we had to start and stop several times, lost a connection. We couldn't finish up at the end. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go to the interview. Plus, she's what you really want to hear. And then I'll have some observations from here on the ground in New Hampshire about the first of the nation primary and what's going on uh, coming up. But first, we caught up just hours after uh, the national news media took off with the story from Berlin with uh, Nikki Haley. It is always a delight to welcome back to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, my former governor, Nikki Haley. Governor Haley, how are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be here, and, and it's great to be back with you again. So a, a lot of stuff to talk about, but let's take care of the elephant in the room first thing because it is just hilarious to me. I remember years ago I was a radio talk host in Charleston, South Carolina. You were a legislator working on becoming governor, and what were we talking about all the time in politics? The Confederate flag and slavery. Here we are, years later in New Hampshire. And what are over we talking and over uh, and, and over again? And, you know, and this is one of the things I try to explain to people. And if you didn't live through it and all of the 
the earnest feelings from people who wanted to keep the flag on the dome and who really earnestly were trying to craft a different story about what it meant to be a Southerner, you know, for, for their great grandfather, whatever. There, there was so much more emotion there. Here in New Hampshire, this isn't an emotional issue at all. But for those of us who grew up around it, we know there are people who, for whom it is a freighted issue. So it's first things first, just what do you want people to know about your view of the Civil War, what it, how it started, and what you think the legacy is for us today? You know, the first thing I'll say is, of course, the Civil War was about slavery. That goes without saying, but clearly, if we need to clarify that, I will clarify that. But it was also more than that, which is what I was trying to say, which is it really was about the role of government. It was about the role of our economic issues, our social issues, the moral decision about whether what freedom meant and who it was meant for. And that's the lesson that I think we should take away is, you know, by the grace of God, we know that slavery is no longer an issue in this country, but we should always take the lessons and say, but how does it apply today? And that is the fact that we should always fight for every single person to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do and be anything they want to be without government or another person getting in their way. And that's the goal of what I was saying is let's not forget that we have to keep fighting for these freedoms and individual liberties for every person. Now, one of the conversations that I've been having with people who've been asking me about how things going in New Hampshire, et cetera, and the, and the impact of this uh, this uh, issue is that there's not a lot of passion about what happened in the 19th century. We got 21st century problems in front of us from China to uh, the post-COVID economy, but rather questions about how you handled that question. So what do you say to the people who've taken this to say, look, if you're to be the Republican nominee, we saw what they did to Trump. They're just going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. Is Nikki Haley ready for the barrage of you know Democratic setups and negative press, et cetera, that would certainly come if she were the nominee? The fact is, I didn't just jump into the campaign trail yesterday. I started <laughs> 10 months ago and we have done over 140, 150 town halls. And I answer every question. I shake every hand. I'm the last person to leave. And a lot of what we do in town halls is very organic. It's candid. And so, you know, we take all kinds of questions and I give them all the answers that I have. I'm not afraid to do that. This one was, and you know, if you grow up in the South, Slavery is a given when it comes to the Civil War. So, I mean, we grew up talking about it. Don't forget, I was a Southern governor who took down the Confederate flag. I know what it means and all of that. So when I answer a question, I answer it from my experiences of what's happened and what's a given, but also about where to go forward. I don't live in the past. I'm always talking about how we take that forward. That really was, if you listen to the answer I gave, it was, what does this mean for the role of government and our freedoms. And that is what I'm always going to do is look forward and say, how do we learn the lessons and go forward? So yes, I am. I will continue to take questions in town halls like I've done for 10 months. This is the first time, you know, Biden and, and the libs wanted to go and make a thing of this mm -hmm. and they did. And I answered it and we've addressed it and we'll go on and we're going to do you know, more town halls today in New Hampshire. We're going to do another one tomorrow. We're going to keep on doing them and we're going to keep on answering questions. I don't mind doing that. I'm always going to do that. And yes, I am capable of answering every question. But and are you, you know from it? But I was, was going to ask because the question that I'm getting from, uh, including from fans of yours is, but it, we know Donald Trump, for whatever his, you know, failings, he's tough. 
they can they can hit him with a sledgehammer and he can take it and hit right back. Is Nikki Haley tough enough to be the Republican nominee, take the mountain of attacks that the you know left-leaning media are going to dump on her and survive to defeat the Democratic nominee, presumably Joe Biden? You can survive South Carolina. It's a blood sport. I can survive Trump on a debate stage. I'm ready to take on any issue that comes our way, and they can see it for themselves. No one's ever said I wasn't I wasn't tough. So in the past month, obviously, your political fortunes, as far as polling go, uh, appear to have changed. Uh, have you has your focus on issues changed any based on? your you know your position in the in the pack and also on changing events around the world how has this last month been different you know it's not i don't think it's different as much as i think it's more necessary now than ever to make sure that we get our country back on track i mean you're looking at a country in disarray you're looking at the world on fire and that's why we have got to have a new generational leader that's going to take on the issues of the future without the negativity and the baggage and we've got to start addressing these things. And that's why I think it's so important. I have said that I think, you know, President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies, but you can't have a country in disarray and a world on fire and, you know, continue down this path of chaos. You don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And I think that we won't survive four more years of that. And so now is the time that we've got to get our fiscal situation in order. We've got to get our economy back on track. We've got to get this inflation down. We've got to get our kids reading again and go back to the basics with school and make sure we have transparency in the classroom. We've got to secure our border. No excuses. We've got to get law and order back to our country. And we've got to have a strong America that we can be proud of. And if you look at the situation, you look at any of the general election polls, Trump and Biden go head to head on a good day. He might be Trump might be up by two or four, which is margin of error. Every one of those general election polls, I'm up by double digits in the Wall Street Journal poll. I beat Biden by 17 points. That's bigger than a presidency. That's about governorships. That's about the Senate. That's about the House. That's about making sure that we have a mandate going into D.C. to get all of those issues taken care of. That's what we're trying to do. Well, that's uh, uh, interesting because, uh, you know, President Trump's campaign has noticed what's going on. They're running ads here in, in New Hampshire and in a state that prides itself on having no income tax, mostly, and no sales tax. Uh, they're hitting you on taxes and saying you wanted to raise taxes as governor and you were going to put in uh, a sales tax in, a gas tax in. What is the Rick Nikki Haley record on taxes? I mean, Trump is lying in the commercials and, you know, when you're lying, you're losing. So he's lying, saying that I wanted to raise I never raised a single tax in South Carolina ever. And you had the Chamber of Commerce and and all of these people wanting to raise the gas tax. And I shot it down every single time. And they finally came back and said, we've got to have this. And I said, the only way I will raise the gas tax is if you do five times the amount of a reduction in income tax. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do it. We don't need to raise taxes. Government already takes too much of our money. We need to reduce the expenses. But what I will tell you is Trump proposed a 25 cent gas tax increase as president. So, you know, if anything, he needs to answer for that. 
I never did. I never will. That is not something I think we need to do. Well, one of and, the longstanding fights, though, in South Carolina politics was the uh, property tax burden. People really were bothered by it. And my understanding is, and this is part of this is recollection from being familiar with it, and part of some reading I've done recently, is you were looking for ways to shift taxes. So in other words, it wouldn't be a net tax increase. It would just be, you know, less on property taxes and more. Am, am I getting that wrong? So that was at my time in, in the legislature. And what they did was they reduced the amount of property taxes in the legislature, but it was a bigger tax decrease than it was increase. Mm -hmm. I am never going to want more of people's taxes in government. I have always fought to lower taxes. I cut taxes in South Carolina. I cut them on veterans. I cut them on small businesses. We built our coffers. We paid down our debt. That is the accountant in me. I will never say that government doesn't have enough money. I will always say that government has too much money and they need to start giving it back to the taxpayers. And my record speaks for itself. Even when I was at the UN, we cut a billion dollars off the top the first year that I was there. We will always reduce the size of government. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to be a campaign of live free or die in New Hampshire. I want us to be a live free or die country where we get government out of the way and we put more money in people's pockets. But, you know, I think you look at, you know, if you look at Trump's record, everybody talks about the economy and how good it was when he was in office. And that's true. But at what cost? Eight trillion dollars in debt in four years that he did to us. Our kids are never going to forgive us for that. That is not how you get us to a good economy. The way you get us to a good economy is you cut the spending, you cut the borrowing, you eliminate earmarks. I'll veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. That's the way you deal with it. We will deal with it by eliminating the federal gas and diesel tax in this country and cutting taxes on the middle class and making the small business tax cuts permanent. Under Trump, they made them temporary. I right. want to make them permanent because small businesses are the heartbeat of our economy. So let's wrap up this last question that actually folds into the what we started with, which is this question that people are asking about when the heat is on, is Nikki Haley going to you know, press ahead uh, even when the name calling starts, et cetera? And it's the issue of the border, because, as you know, one of the ways that people who oppose border restrictions, oppose uh, deporting people who are here uh, illegally say, well, you're a hater, you're a racist, you're a bigot. Um, are you prepared to fight for an immigration proposal that you know uh, shuts down or whatever you know controls the border deports people for breaking the law that is being here legally and then being called all the names that you're going to be called if that happens just as you're getting a lot of abuse right now about the civil war answer i have been called so many names all my <laughs> life that has never phased me I have been on four debate stages where the arrows were coming. That does not phase me. And that's where we kind of lost our connection. And so, again, my apologies for some of the audio being a little sketchy there, but it's it's cell service north of Concord in New Hampshire. After that, she gave a more complete answer about actual uh, border policy that she supports very tough, strong border policy. She talks about a record in South Carolina on the issue. There was a real surge of, uh, of illegal immigrants, uh, particularly from Mexico into Georgia and South Carolina about 15-ish years ago is when it started cooking. Uh, and by the way, I will just tell you, being from South Carolina, the quality of dining immediately went up. There was, there was already great food, but it was all great Southern food. We're trying to find a great Mexican or Central American restaurant. <laughs> 
forget about it. That was one of the benefits of the migration, illegal and otherwise. No, this is absolutely true. When I was a kid, because I was actually born in LA where my mom is from and my dad's from, my mom's from Long Beach, California. My dad's from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I'm bi-coastal, but you know, you can't tell people in South Carolina that you're bi-coastal. They think that means you date guys on the beach. Um, but we would have taco night and burrito night, but we couldn't buy tacos and burritos. They did not sell them in the local redneck grocery store where we lived in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. So my grandmother from the West Coast would ship us boxes of tortillas and rosary to refried beans. And I had people in my house, like they'd come over after church, or whatever, and we'd have dinner, lunch, and we'd be doing tacos and burritos. They'd never seen one. That was the... Now, once again, fantastic. I, I grew up with fantastic food, but it was, you know, fried chicken and grits and gravy and stuff. And so it's great to have them both now. What's that got to do with anything? Nothing. <laughs> the point is, uh, you didn't get Governor Haley's full answer on the legal immigration issue because we lost her. Uh, but she, she says she's prepared to be very tough on it. And I wonder if that's not, as, as we talk now, which is Thursday, less than 24 hours after her comments in Berlin, and the national media coverage has been a just a tidal wave of negative and the Ron DeSantis people could not be more thrilled. I got a note from one of them uh, saying, Oh, look at this. Uh, she's really in the box. Now she screwed up this. What a terrible day for her. And I replied, yeah, it's her first day as Ron DeSantis because we've all seen the terrible days that Ron DeSantis has had. And many of them, you could argue are unfair media bias. You know, the, there are people in the media who just loathe Ron DeSantis. They're also fearful that he would be an effective leader if he were, you know, to be the nominee and, you know, do what he did for America as he did in Florida, which is to actually put conservative policies in place that are pretty popular. Uh, so, but whatever the motive, the point is, Ron DeSantis has had a lot of bad days. Nikki Haley definitely, from a political standpoint, having a bad day in the wake of that comment. But will the comment be what lingers? If you read the NH Journal story, uh, we have a quote from Jim Merrill who says, you're just not going to have any luck trying to portray Nikki Haley, a person of color who grew up in South Carolina and took down the Confederate flag as the person who's insensitive about slavery or is pro-slavery or whatever. And I don't think that's the test people are, are having her take right now. I don't think those are the paces they want to see her run through. I think it's, is she tough enough to handle this? Is she politically savvy enough to handle this so she gets out of it on the other end? Uh, the good news for Nikki Haley and all the other candidates is whatever you do right now is going to go through the filter of New Year's. And when we come out the other side of New Year's, you know, the, there's going to be a lot of kind of mental resetting and media resetting and how much of anything that happens this week is going to be remembered. Uh, but I do think that this uh, question people are asking that I asked her about, are you tough enough? And if you, you know, can you handle questions that are designed to put you in a box. You know, she points out, she took a bunch of these questions on stage in the debates, people definitely trying to put her in a box and she did what she did. And either you like it or she, or you don't based on the polls, you know, a significant number of people like it, not nearly as many currently that like Donald Trump, but she's made progress handling questions. And some of the people that I respect the most, there's a lot of, she had a bad night. It was late, you know, lots of travel, she blew an answer completely. Now the question is, what does she do? Because nobody is going to run a perfect campaign. Uh, when I was running campaigns myself, I used to, you know, you'd have candidates who something would go wrong. The the their opponent would land a really you know effective punch, and they oh my gosh, run! I'm like guys, calm down. This isn't baseball. 
There are no perfect games. No one's going to win 3 nothing. You're not going to shut anyone out. This is Politics is basketball. The other team is going to score 80 points. Your job is to score 90. It's that simple. And so, you know, Nikki Haley definitely had an own goal or whatever that stuff is in third world kickball sport. And now the question will be three or four days from now when people look back, will they go, oh, man, she just kept making that worse. Or will they go, oh, she got through it. Or will they go, oh, she turned it around. You could argue that the uh, the point of planted questions was her way to turn it around. Not necessarily from the fact that it was a planted question because she should be able to answer every question. Shouldn't be an issue, particularly. I mean, this wasn't like a weird... I mean, it was weird in the sense that who is talking about... America's, you know, policy of slavery from 1865 today in 2023. Who's really talking about that? And so people say, oh, blaming it on a planet question. You're just saying you can't handle Democrats' tough questions. I think what she was doing is trying to turn it on to, look, the Biden people are coming after me. The more she can promote the notion that Democrats really don't want her to be the nominee because they fear that she would handily beat Biden. And, you know, obviously she makes that pitch openly. It's similar, by the way, to the pitch Ron DeSantis makes too. Uh, but that, I think that was her attempt to give her some room to move around it. We'll see how, I just don't see a significant movement of voters on one gaffe, particularly on a gaffe on a topic that people just don't care that much about. I will say, however, that if you wanted to hand Chris Christie an opportunity who the day before, or maybe the day, I guess it was the day, yeah, the same day, earlier that day, we found out he's dumping, uh, you know, more than a million dollars in media in New Hampshire with this ad where he looks in the camera and says, what do you mean to drop out? Some people say I should drop out of this race. Really? I'm the only one saying Donald Trump is a liar. See, that's, that's a pretty strong comparison with Nikki Haley. So as far as, you know, measuring your words versus just letting it fly. So we'll see what impact that has. I tend to agree with uh, the analysis I've seen from uh, some smart pollsters and some smart DC people that fundamentally the race hasn't changed. If there's still this bulk of people in New Hampshire, around 45%, who just like Trump, they have no reason to leave Trump, they're sticking with Trump, and they're happy to kick... (laughs) Haley around a little bit, kick DeSantis around a little bit. But, oh, and by the way, if you look at their negatives, the fact is most Republicans like Ron DeSantis and like Nikki Haley. So they'll kick him around a little, they'll do politics, but they're not anti the challengers to Trump. They're not angry. That's only on Twitter where you see Trump supporters. How dare you? I can't believe you'd be disloyal. You talk to Republicans at Christmas parties, like I did, and at events, and their attitude is, yeah, they, I'm, I'm sticking with Trump. I like, yeah, sure. I, you know, I like DeSantis on this. I like Haley on that, but I'm sticking with Trump. And there's a lot of I'm sticking with Trump. And the question is, is there anything that we've seen that's moving that or changing that? We'll find out a lot, I think, in Iowa. Uh, and if Trump significantly underperforms and somebody else overperforms, both of those, then I think that might have a significant impact on New Hampshire. But if Trump does about what is is expected. It won't really matter what anyone else does. That's how it looks on the ground for me. One guy, Michael Graham. I could be totally wrong. And that's why you can email me, news at insidesources.com. News at insidesources.com. Hope you enjoyed the uh, podcast that we never intended to do. We'll be doing another more regularly scheduled one coming up in just a few days. Have a fantastic new year. I am Michael Graham at New Hampshire Journal. 
Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.